Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are you? Good. Okay. Good. I'm doing great as well. So I, I would like to start with a question first to introduce myself. My name is Tyler. If I have not met you, I'm on a discipleship team here at Holland Park Prez. And I'd like to begin this morning with a question. Have you ever felt like a fool? Have you ever felt like a fool? I think I've mentioned before that I went to a liberal arts school called Wheaton College. So I had to take a lot of gen eds and one of those gen eds was philosophy. Now, while some of you were reading Socrates in high school, I was reading Safe Haven by Nicholas Sparks to get some extra accelerated reader points and because it's somewhat of a gripping novel. But anyway, I was a little nervous to take philosophy. So foolish thing number one, I decided I'll knock out my first philosophy credit my very first semester at college. And let's just say I was not prepared to dive headfirst into Plato's Republic. But it was too late. I vividly remember reading Plato in the library the night before thinking, what have I done? But I pushed through, I read every page and I understood nothing. And the next day I I walked into class. Of course, there were only about 15 of us in the classroom. And I pleaded with the Lord Almighty that that if he is truly good, that I would not be called on to answer any questions on Plato's view on virtue. I, I don't think he heard me because I remember being asked about something. I have no idea what the question was, but more importantly, I had no idea what to say. But I remember just shrugging and saying, honestly, I don't know. And and I continued this long legacy of everyone questioning how football players got into Wheaton in the first place. But anyway, I I felt like a fool. I, I, I felt stupid, like I should have known something that I didn't. Now, is this what it's like to be a fool? Have you ever felt like this? Is this what being a fool is like, though? Is, does foolishness consist simply of a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding? Is a fool someone who has int- low intellectual abilities? What is it that makes someone a fool? Well, if you were with us last week, we started this new series on the book of Proverbs where we're looking at what it looks like to gain wisdom. In this information age we find ourselves in, we are inundated with advice about where to live, where to work, where to go on vacation, and not only those things, but also the kind of person we should be. Do you know that some suggest that on average, we see at least 4,000 advertisements a day telling us things about who to be and what to do? Also, what about our iPhones capturing our attention with constant quick information? One study showed that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone about 2,617 times a day. And now that, now that we have threads, I think that has gone up a little bit. In his book, Margin, Richard Swinson comments that a single edition of the New York Times contains more information than someone in the 17th century would encounter, not in a year or in a decade, but in their entire lifetime. We consume information. And when it comes to making the right decisions about parenting, about money, about our future or relationships, as Christians, we we need to acknowledge that wisdom is not found on billboards, but found in the Bible. God's word to us, showing us the kind of world that he created and how we're supposed to live in it. And this wisdom, it's particularly been found in the book of Proverbs, this collection of short, clever sayings that offer wisdom, not information, but wisdom. See, what the book of Proverbs is doing is not asking, what should we do? But rather asking this question, what is really going on here? What is reality? 
in God's created yet fallen world, what is the proper way to live? Last week, we looked in Proverbs 1, which says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That that the starting place of wisdom is actually a posture, an acknowledgement that we live in God's ordered world and we are to submit to that order. And here's what the second half of that verse says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you know, Proverbs does this a lot. It starts with one thing, in this case, wisdom. And the second line, it talks about its opposite or antithesis, in this case, a fool. And the proverb does this in order to enlighten the reader's understanding of a topic. Sometimes the best way to know what something is like is to look at its opposite. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. We're gonna gain wisdom on foolishness. And we'll be doing that by looking at four kinds of fools. And the fourth is the most important. But the first three, they're all found in the book of Proverbs. A survey reading of Proverbs reveals three kinds of fools that we translate to the simple, the fool, and the mocker. And so we're going to walk through each of these together. First, the simple. This fool comes up about 14 times in the book of Proverbs. Let's read about them. Chapter seven in Proverbs says this, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to a slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. Yikes. So let's look at another verse. Chapter 14, it says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Or what about chapter 22? It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. One more, back to chapter one. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. This word simple, it literally means to be open or not committed to anything. The simple are not insightful. They're gullible, they're weak-willed. And this is something important to note, not only about the simple, but this is true of all of the fools. This is not about knowledge. Being a fool doesn't mean you're unintelligent or have a reduced mental capacity. One commentator puts it this way, fools are not those who cannot learn, but those who will not. And here's the main thing about the simple. If true wisdom is fearing God and submitting to his moral order of the universe, then the fool rejects that order unconcerned with which way is right or wrong and they go their own way. And now I've tried to think of some characters who represent each kind of fool. And so we're gonna watch this video. Hopefully this gives you a good idea of what the simple is like. We are going to steal. Wait, wait! I haven't told you what it is yet. Hey, Dave, listen up, please. Poor Dave, right? (laughs) 
Okay, so I know this is not a perfect analogy, but did you see how all of the minions were doing their own thing and then all of a sudden their boss, Gru, was calling them and they all just followed and they were willing to do whatever it took or whatever he wanted, no matter the consequences. The proverb says this person is a fool, not knowing what is right or wrong, not concerned what the consequences are and going their own way. So this is the simple. Do you know this fool? That's an easy question. Let me ask a harder one. Are you this fool? Are you sometimes this fool? Maybe do you have these foolish tendencies? Let's move on to our second fool, which is the fool. And this fool is the most popular. It comes up about 50 times in the book of Proverbs. Chapter 14 says this, stay away from a fool. So some great advice. Let's look at a couple reasons why we get this. First, they're hot-tempered. Chapter 12 says this, fools show their annoyance at once. Chapter 29 says, fools give full vent to their rage. Also, fools never think they're wrong. Chapter 12 says this, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Last verse we'll look at, and they have no interest in making things right. Chapter 14, fools mock at making amends for sin. So a fool is hot-tempered, despises correction, can't apologize. Actually, opulence isn't even something that they're worthy of. Chapter 19 says this, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes. Wow, so no Gucci or anything for the fool. Too bad. And here's one of the saddest proverbs, but most revealing about a fool. Chapter 26 says, as a dog returns to its vomit... So fools repeat their folly. Fools can't even learn from their own mistakes. And so here's what's wrong with the fool. They're fixed on their own opinion, on being right. They're set on being right. Have you ever discussed with, some, with someone who is like this, who is convinced that they're right and there's no compromise? It's miserable, is it not? And if you have not discussed with this person, I just have to say you might be that person. And so if the simple, if they reject God's order, here's what the fool does. Instead of rejecting God's order, they reject the fallenness of God's creation. And as a part of God's created world, that they too are fallen. So they are rejecting their own fallenness. This is Mike Lazaridis. So I first read his story in Adam Grant's book, Think Again. So whether or not you recognize him or his name, Mike has actually had a defining impact on all of our lives. So so Mike is brilliant. When he was four years old, he was making a record player out of rubber bands and Legos. Mike's first success was when he patented a device for reading barcodes on movie film. This actually helped Hollywood so much that Mike won an Emmy and an Oscar award for technical achievement. But this achievement was nothing compared to his next one the BlackBerry. Now, now, in the age of the iPhone, I can imagine that y'all are disinterested in the BlackBerry, rightfully so, but can I just ask, who has owned a BlackBerry at some point in their life? Yeah, everyone at age 30 and above, right? And this, this actually makes sense because in 2009, the BlackBerry accounted for nearly half of the U.S. smartphone market. But just five years later in 2014, its market share had plummeted to less than 1%. So what, what happened here? Well, as early as 1997, one of Mike's top engineers wanted to add an internet browser to the BlackBerry. 
But actually, Mike rejected this idea and told the, told the engineer to just focus on the email. Later, even after analyzing the iPhone himself, Mike still held this strong belief that people just wanted a device to make calls and to do work emails. They didn't want a pocket full of apps. Later in 2010, actually, some of Mike's employees pitched this idea to allow encrypted text messaging to happen on the BlackBerry. And Mike heard them at first, but he ultimately rejected their idea, which the WhatsApp later seized for upwards of $19 billion. See, Mike was convinced that the BlackBerry was an iconic product and it didn't need to change at all. He was confident that he was right and he wasn't willing to listen to anyone else about it. So some might say with this story that Mike was being a fool. So do you know this fool? And again, are you this fool? Do you have some of these foolish tendencies? Now, does it get worse than this? Unfortunately, yes, there's one more fool, sometimes described as the worst, most far gone kind of fool, which is the mocker. The mocker occurs about 14 times in the book of Proverbs and chapter 21 says this, that the mockers are the proud and the arrogant person. It says in chapter 15 that mockers resent correction so they avoid the wise. And in chapter 14, it says, even though, that mo- even though mockers seek wisdom, they cannot find it. So the mocker hates correction, is opposite of the wise, and is arrogant. But what makes them worse than the fool? What, what's the difference here? Let's read a couple verses. Chapter 22 says, drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. And later in chapter 29, it says, mockers stir up a city, but the wise churn away anger. See, with the mocker, what scholars have said is that the, there, there's intentional conflict and disruption with them. While the mischief of the ordinary fool is a little more random, the mocker is actually a deliberate troublemaker. At best, the fool is a menace, but the mocker is malicious. What the mocker will do is take down anything that blocks them from getting their way. And they are even willing to sacrifice relationships and the community to get there. And actually, if you read through Proverbs, you realize that the wise are people who disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. What the mocker does is they disadvantage the community for the advantage of themselves. And now here's what's interesting about the mocker. I think that they know both God's created order and humanity's fallenness. But instead of submitting to God's order and recognizing their own fallenness, the mocker actually submits to their fallenness in order to twist God's order. And so is there a character that embodies the mocker? Although not perfectly, I think the infamous Dwight Schrute is a good example. And so if you're not familiar with this show, Dwight um, appears on the show, The Office, and the bane of his existence is really to one-up, especially Jim, but also everyone in the office to show that he's better than everyone else. In a very mocker-like fashion, Dwight always thinks he's right and he's willing to do whatever it takes to show that. I think one particular episode highlights this, highlights this well. You might be familiar with this, but one day Dwight gives a seminar on fire safety to the entire office. Some people are familiar with this. but So Dwight is extremely upset because he realizes people are not paying attention to this presentation and they don't care about fi- fire safety. So on par with Dwight, but if you don't know Dwight, this is, this is very true of something that he would do. He seals off all the exits, he cuts the phone lines, and he starts a fire inside the office. 
And if you've seen this episode, all of the events that follow, they're not good, as you can imagine. A mocker, a fool, he was willing to sacrifice the health of the office, the safety of the office to show that he was right and to teach the office a lesson. It's pride, it's arrogance. So again, do you know this fool, the mocker? That's an easy question. What about this more important question? Are you sometimes this fool? Do you have these foolish tendencies? So far, we've looked at three fools, the simple, the fool, the mocker. And based off of these fools in Proverbs, I just wanna ask, who are these fools? Maybe throughout this sermon, you've created a running list of people who fit in each one of the categories. At least that's what I did when I was preparing this sermon. But that, that is not the point. Can we just think back on these fools for a second? The simple reject God's order to go their own way. The fool rejects the fallenness of humanity and they're stuck in the infallibility of their own opinion. And the mocker lives into his or her own fallenness in order to create a new order or new way. And they're willing to sacrifice relationships along the way. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Have you ever made a decision that was solely based on a desire you had, even if it was against God's design? Or have you ever been so convinced that you were right in an argument that it's like you considered your opinion as infallible and everyone else that disagreed with you was just stupid? Or have you ever desired to get your way so bad that you did whatever it took to make that thing happen, even at the expense of someone else? Well, if so, Proverbs says you're a fool. And so, so if you're not catching on, who's a fool? We're all fools. But what kind of fool are we going to be? And thankfully, there's a fourth kind of fool that we find in the scriptures that we can be, which is God's fool. So returning to the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians, Paul has this summary statement in verse 18, which is really at the heart of what he's trying to communicate to the church in Corinth, with, which if you remember, the Corinthians were open to splitting the church based on their preference of human leaders. The Corinthian church, they were obsessed with status, with wealth, with intellect, with intellect, with worldly wisdom. So here's what Paul said to them. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And later he says this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And so can we just reflect on this a little bit together? Why would the message of the cross, Christ crucified, be foolishness to some? And actually, when we're completely honest, why is it sometimes foolishness to us? Let's think about this. Let's go way back to Genesis. God, he decides that he's gonna make this great nation. And so he needs to choose someone to do that. Who does God choose? The 100-year-old man, Abraham, and his spry wife, Sarah, a mere 90 years old. Like, God, this does not make a lot of sense. What about when God chose someone to speak on his behalf and take um, Israel out of slavery in Egypt? You think you'd want to pick someone who's passed public speaking 101, maybe even given some TED Talks along the way? He chose Moses, someone who self-described himself as being very bad with words. He did not want to speak. Well, maybe this is just how God wanted to start out because who doesn't love a good underdog story? But when it came to God's first choice of Israel's king, God overlooked seven of Jesse's much more equipped, stronger, older, and experienced sons. And he chose David, the youngest shepherd boy, to be king of Israel. A little foolish, right? 
What about Ruth? If you know the story, she's a Moabite woman, a foreigner, a widow. How is it that Israel's promised Messiah was gonna come through her line? Don't you think God would want the Messiah to have a little more clout than that? Maybe be born from someone with a little higher status? Foolishness. But it gets even worse because when the promised Messiah came, he wasn't born in a castle. He was born in a guest room with animals. He was born into a poor family. He was from Nazareth. Remember, people laughed at the idea of the Messiah being from Nazareth. In other words, they thought God wouldn't be that foolish to have Israel's future king be from Nazareth. He would have him be from Highland Park or something like that, right? Making sure y'all are still with me. So what is going on here? Well, the story gets even crazier because Jesus, not making much progress towards saving Israel, he keeps talking about dying. People must have been thinking, this can't be the plan. God, your Messiah is supposed to save, not suffer. And then finally, seemingly defeated, Jesus dies next to criminals on a cross. And I'm sure the disciples may have been thinking, God, what are you doing? This is a bad plan. What a foolish plan. Because no human could have dreamed up this story where God himself came to die on a cross. But as one commentator mentions, only God is so wise as to be so foolish. Because it was in God's wisdom that he humiliated himself on a cross to save fools like you and me. See, the culmination of God's redemptive plan is and always was the cross. And the Corinthians desperately needed reminded of this because they, they, they wanted a partial gospel, one with the words of Jesus, not the cross of Jesus. Because the cross looked and sounded foolish to them. They were manipulating the gospel to be this new wisdom, something that they could use to bolster their status and self-sufficiency. They were living into a story that said, if you want to be somebody, then you need to be successful. You need to know the right people. You need to follow the right leaders. And do we not struggle with this too? Sometimes we don't always want the cross either. Because I think we have to admit that we're fools. When it comes to the cross, we have to admit that we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves with our degrees, with with who we know, with our church, with our family, with our money. We can't save ourselves with our therapist or, or correct theology. Whatever it is, those things can't save us. But on the cross, God comes to us in in Jesus and he gives us another story where it's not the intelligent, the good looking, the most popular or the super spiritual who are welcome into God's kingdom, but it's the outcast, the unassuming, the sinners, the meek, anyone who is willing to admit that they are fools who need saving. And God says to those fools, because of what Jesus did on your behalf, you're my fool now. And as N.T. Wright says, if that doesn't make you somebody, then nothing will. And so is there a character that resembles God's fool? I felt like we needed to redeem the name Dwight. So if you're familiar, Dwight L. Moody, um, otherwise referred to as D.L. Moody, he's known by many as one of the greatest American evangelists. He would preach to crowds of about 15 or sometimes even 30,000 people. He started schools for young women and also for poor and the minorities And observed by many during his time and reflecting on his ministry, people say that Dwight's um, or Moody's ministry was extremely effective. And here's what's interesting. At the height of Moody's ministry between 1874 and 1875, a leading clergyman from England came to visit Moody and he wanted to see what was it 
that Moody was doing? What was his secret power? What made him so good? Was it his looks, his leadership skills, his eloquent language, his nuanced theology? After his four-day stay, this man actually told Moody that his work was most plainly the work of God. And here's the reason that he said, he said this, because there is no relation between Moody personally and what he was accomplishing. That would maybe hurt the ego a little bit, right? You know what Moody did? He laughed and he replied that he would be very sorry if things were otherwise. This is someone who was God's fool, not relying on his own wisdom to be effective, but relying on the wisdom of God. And how might we do this? How might we be God's fool? And let's just remember that wisdom is not about what we should do. That's not the question. It's what is really going on here? What is reality? So I wanna reflect on one last image that I'd like to leave you with. And if we can circle back to the original three fools, this is something I've been reflecting on. Very simple that all three of them have have in common, which is simply that they can't see past themselves. Simply that they're selfish. So have you ever been in a maze mirror before? A maze mirror. So I think this is what it's like to be a fool. Wherever you go, you can only see yourself. You're living into a story where your wants, your needs, your desires trump everything else. And as you go through life, here's the thing. The fool is always reflecting his or her own image to the world. But the mere maze is worldly wisdom. It's, it's a foolish story to live into. But God, in his wisdom, pulls us out of that maze. And he says, that's not really what's going on here. That's not reality. In my created world, I made a world to follow me, to know me, to live a certain way, to care for others, to be hospitable, to be generous, even at your own expense. And so God pulls us out of the foolish mirror maze into the real world where we stop reflecting ourselves and instead we reflect the triune God because that's what we were made for. We weren't made for a mirror maze. We were made for this world to reflect God's wisdom, not our own. So let's pray together. God, in your wisdom, you make fools like us, your sons and daughters. So we thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness, for the cross. And let us never forget that though seemingly foolishness to those who don't know the gospel saving power, Christ crucified is the power of God, which has saved us. It is saving us and it will save us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.